broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Hi, everyone. I'm Sherry Young, your host for the Women in Business show. It's Wednesday at noon, and we're here every Wednesday at noon to talk with women in our city who are involved with women in business. Either they are women in business, they support women in business, or in some form or fashion, they uh, help women on their path to market, be it in the legal area, the financial area, um, or logistically. And today we have a guest. I'm super excited to introduce Christina Montague. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Sherry. I've been looking forward to this show. I think you're the first guest I booked uh, Excellent. when I was asked <laughs> to host the show. Uh, Christina is managing partner and co-founder of the Jump Fund, and you have a really interesting history, and I, I wanted to introduce you that way because you have, um, you're formerly assistant dean um, at UTC, correct? In the business school, yes. In the business school, mm-hmm. and then uh, you've been involved with Hamilton County Education. I think you were director of development for the Normal Park mm-hmm. uh, School, mm-hmm. and um, you have your own family, right. your wife and mother to two. Two, two yeah. teenagers, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> coming from uh, basically public service, mm-hmm. right, and being in um, the public school system and then also in private school with, with our local college, you're now co-founder and managing partner for the Jump Fund. How did you get there? Right. It's sort of a strange path. And and what the Jump Fund is, is an angel investment fund. So we make um, equity investments mostly, sometimes uh, debt in uh, startup companies that have high growth potential. So we can talk more about that. So yes. it's a very different path than what I was on yes. before. So my um, background, actually, I have a master's in public administration with a focus on education policy. So I really was more on the policy side for a long time. I worked with the Public Education Foundation when I first moved to Chattanooga. I moved from Seattle um, in 1995. Since then, the path has really been in K through 12 until I went to the university. So I worked with, um, after PEF, I worked with the Creative Discovery Museum and then um, Norrell Park School for a very long time. And then as my kids got older, um, I ended up uh, moving over to the university as an assistant dean in the business school for external affairs. Yes. Um, and that's where I really um, kind of built the passion for helping to launch the Jump Fund. And what is that as um, assistant dean for external affairs? <laughs> what did you do in that role and how did that ignite this passion? Well, it's interesting that since I've left the university, they divided that job into at least three different people. Oh, so wow. <laughs> it encompassed a lot of things. Um, so I actually took um, that position from uh, over from Lisa Flint, who now is the director at the Footprint Foundation. Um, but she she had constructed a, a really wonderful um, role in that embodied a lot of aspects. So communications was key. Um, uh, all of the PR communications for the university, really developing business partnerships. So I was over that because we have a lot of, um, obviously as a business school, need to keep up with current business leaders and involve them on our boards, um, involve them as donors, involve them as educators in our classroom, mentors to our students. So I did that. I also helped run the internship program at the time. Um, and so it was a really, and then I taught classes. So I taught the senior seminar there, which was really kind of launching them into the business community as they were leaving the university. So I wore a lot of hats and of yes. course was part of the administration as well. 
Um, we had a wonderful, um, two different deans that I worked under and, um, it's, it's a really, really great school. I mean, it's, it's a jewel in the crown at, at UTC. The business school is yes. incredibly strong. So I was really, uh, privileged and, and thankful that I, I was able to spend some time there and really felt like I kind of got my MBA on top of my MPA. Yeah. <laughs> While working you at the business school, I just learned so much. It was, um, a really great experience. And, um, so from that, uh, you know, I had a lot of students that I mentored. Yes. Um, and particularly young women because, um, you know, it is difficult still for young women in business um, to kind of find the right networks and connect out there. So I was mentoring a lot of young women, particularly juniors and seniors who were coming to me trying to find out what their next steps should be. And within that, I was really concerned when the young women who were interested in entrepreneurship, so really about a handful of, of those young women would come to me and really feel like they couldn't they weren't finding the right place to plug in in Chattanooga's right, right at that time kind of burgeoning entrepreneurial ecosystem. Exactly. So CoLab had just kind of the whole Create Here movement. Um, there were some kind of smaller projects going on around town and um, they really felt like it was really kind of a boys network at the time. Yeah. And I know there were a lot of people who were concerned about that and wanting to change that, but the change wasn't happening fast enough for these young women. So, for instance, they were hosting these 48-hour launches at the time out of CoLab, and they were pretty much, except for one of my partners, Tiffany Robinson, who went through one at, at, at one point in time, they were pretty much all guys doing it. Because if you can imagine a couple of things, if you have all guys spending 48 hours together, is a young woman really going to be want to be in the mix of that? I mean, they're right. up all night together eating Cheetos, whatever, you know, yeah. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> drink a beer. And it's just a little bit of intimidating environment. And then on top of that, if you have any women who actually maybe are postgraduate and have a family, how are they going to spend 48 hours, you know, you kind of digging in and, and figuring out, you know, is, is this business going to fly? Are Can they do that? Yes. So we yeah. actually looked before we even launched the jump fund, we worked with CoLab to develop a 48 hour launch that was just for female founders. And there was a concern that the women just weren't, wouldn't be out there for this, that, you know, if we put this out there, would we fill it up? And they had, I think, more than 24 applicants for that. They could only take nine of them, I think. And so for that first, you know, run at it for 24 women to say, I want to work for 48 hours. On have, my business. Yeah, on my business. Yeah. And be surrounded by great mentors and all that. Yes. I mean, the two things they said they were drawn to, one is that it was a network of women that they could plug into. And the other was that we provided childcare. So we had several women come to it who used that, maybe not the 48-hour childcare, but definitely some of the, you know, workday time sure. so that their spouse or whoever didn't have to do right. all of it. Or if there's a single parent, you know, didn't have to send the they child to coverage. grandma. Or, yeah. So that was really eye-opening that, okay, wait a minute, there's something here, you know, yes. that hasn't been yet tapped into. So, yes. And what year was that, that you did that? Um, so that, the 48-hour launch was, um, I believe that was 2020. 12 because okay. we launched the it actually was early 2013 excuse me because we launched the fund in the fall of 2013 okay mm -hmm. so the launching of the fund came out of number one being in an advisory or mentoring role in at the university and working with a handful of young women who expressed their desire to see um really a launch pad i guess here in town for them mm -hmm. and then having been involved in the 48-hour launch, you had women come out of that who I assume demonstrated their uh, ability to launch successful businesses. 
And and what was there a need for funding, a need for mentoring? What what? Yeah, those businesses that came out of that were still a little bit more lifestyle. We did have one tech company that was doing, um, and she she ran for a little while, and then when it had a fourth child, uh-huh. um, but she was doing um, kind of specialty uh, boxes, kind of like a birch box, but for moms. So, um, with products and then she has a counseling background. So she was helping stay at home moms really kind of get through some of those tough times when mm-hmm. you're feeling really lonely and everything. And you'd have this box arrive on your doorstep that was full of creative supplies or pampering supplies or something. And it would kind of, and it would, it would help you on the counseling. There was sort of a checklist that would go with it of sort of testing how you're feeling right then and then being able to connect to a group of like-minded moms. So it was, okay. that was a really great company and that she was one of the ones who won. Um, and Shannon, um, uh, what is her last name? I'm blanking on Shannon's last name, but she spoke at the last Bad and, B- Bad and Dangerous too. Okay, um, yes. So um, so those were it really, I mean, they were definitely businesses that could, had the potential to scale, but really weren't ready for investment yet. I mean, okay. it, it, you have to get to a, much later stage to be ready for investment. Yes. And let's talk about that because I think, you know, by and large, there are companies who, who start as service-based businesses like mine, for instance, you know, and you, you will often go women, I think, go into a second career, either having raised our children or we've worked in the corporate world and we feel like we've kind of exhausted our value in the corporate world and often, will crave going on to the next thing, having our own business. And and often I think women like yourself, um, we desire to teach other other women and to kind of reach back and to mentor. And I think owning your own business for me personally, I'll say, has been a great opportunity to work with younger women and to bring them along. So we have a lot of women like me, I think, in this city who we don't really... Uh, fit the the model or the profile for outside investing. And we don't necessarily need it because we're not scaling our business to that level. But talk to us about the jump fund and what types of work you do, what types of investments you make, the range of investing, mm-hmm. and who really does fit your profile. Right. And so kind of to demystify what angel investing or even what venture capital is, because we sort of ride that line between those two things. We are, because we're a dedicated fund, we're actually technically venture capitalists, but because we're such a small fund and we really engage at a very early, early stage with our companies and we're really hands-on with our companies, we like to consider ourselves angel investors. So for instance, we're a member of the Angel Capital Association and some other groups that just focus on this type of investing. So so there's sort of some interesting definitions out there. But if you think of, you know, the sharks on Shark Tank, I mean, in essence, that's what that's we you. do, right? Yeah. So we're making equity investments in companies. And what everybody has to understand about what an investor wants is an investor wants to make money, right? Yes. So we're not out there to give grants or to give you a loan for a while and get it paid back. We actually want multiples on our returns, right? So we want to see a 10x or a 20x return on the money that we're um, putting into your company. And therefore, we need to see a growth venture. We need to see a venture that actually has scalability, that can grow. For instance, we put out there, we need to see growth to a minimum of 20 million in the next three to five years. You know, you have to be able to prove out that on a pro forma. You really have to understand your market. So these are really, and usually they're tech-enabled businesses. We do have a few consumer products, but 
um, you know, a lot of it, you know, technology is what's really helping to more rapidly scale businesses. So if you have some technology component to your business, that's probably going to be a higher growth venture than others. And can you define technology in that, would that be a company who, let's say you, you create a consumer product and you move that product through e-commerce, would that qualify or you've actually got to be inventing a technology? Both. Um, So we have some companies that actually are both like a a hard, like Torch, for instance, is a hardware and software play. So they are developing routers um, for parents to help manage their digital interface with their children in their home. Um, But they also have their their big play is really more about software. Um, And so how is that software maybe integrated into some other platforms for parents to help manage their kids' interaction with digital media? but then we have things that are actually applications, um, like our sports fan engagement company that develops white labels, um, which means that any any college or university or high school can put their, you know, logo and motto and everything on. It looks like it's coming from their school, but it's how they engage with their fans. So they have a whole back-end component that they sell into the schools to help them engage with their fans, loyalty rewards programs, help them raise money, all these things that people want to do with their sports program. But that is a really tech-enabled company. You know, they yes. have two developers on their team. Then we have something like MomSource um, Network, which has started as a service, uh, a direct service organization that is doing um, flexible employment placement targeted toward moms. It's called MomSource Network. There are some gentlemen who use it who want flexible employment um, opportunities. And so they work with employers to say, if you really want this talent that's been left out of the workforce in your company, then hire us. We'll find a right fit. We'll help you figure out how to make it the most flexible opportunity for these people within your company. A lot of businesses are really interested in doing that now. A lot of legislation has come down the pike about you know diversity and yes. drawing more women in. And this is one way to do that, to have a more flexible, more flexible opportunity. So what she's doing now, though, so at the time she was growing this, you know, she's building in three different cities. She's about to move to Huntsville and possibly Austin now with having, you know, people in place there. But the the thing that sort of turned the corner for the Jump Fund is she is going to enable this whole um, placement service she has with technology now. So she's launching a tech platform where she can actually work with very large clients like Whole Foods. The NASDAQ actually out in San Francisco wants to use her platform. Um, Morgan Stanley, some mm-hmm. of these other big employers who then they can look at a much, um, she can she can have a pipeline of a lot more folks on this platform as well as get a lot more job postings out from these companies. So it's just, you can't do that. Um, you can't scale like that when it's just sort of, you know, people using back-end databases, exactly. right? Or like yeah. spreadsheets. Right. So this is a tech-enabled platform that has the algorithms behind it to make those matches better to have a much higher intake of clients coming in on both ends. Yes. And so for the Jump Fund, Mm -hmm. it becomes scalable to the point that you're able to get your return. Right, right. Because now she can scale to, you know, I think I can't remember exactly where the pro forma landed, but, you know, three to five years to 36 million because if she can hit certain targets and, and her revenue projections are somewhat on target. Usually we cut those projections at about half, but, um, but that, um, you know, her assumptions are correct. Like X many people a year will pay X amount for my product or service. 
then um, that's something that we're much more interested in because at some point that company is going to look valuable to someone else. So yes. whether it's a private equity firm, whether it's another competitor in the marketplace, like for her, maybe a, a monster or somebody like that, a career builder who says, I want this flexible employment component to what I'm doing, um, then that becomes, um, you know, uh, an acquisition opportunity out there and and she would get bought. And that that point gives our liquidation opportunity. So the investors are the first ones who get paid out of that mm-hmm. um, because we were the ones who took the most risk, right? Mm-hmm. So we put the money in. Um, and so we get, so the founders don't get the first money. The investors always get the first money. Yes. But I like to make it really clear. So I think people, um, don't really understand getting investment for your company. The good thing about women is that we are very capital efficient as business leaders and we also bootstrap a lot longer. So for investors, um, a company looks much better when you can come to us and have some customer traction, some revenue traction, you know, you're, you're trucking along and you just need fuel to put on this company to really accelerate. So you've already launched your business idea. Yep. You're actually selling yes. a service or a product. Yep. You can demonstrate success in, in at whatever level you're operating. Yep. Um, you've probably learned along the way. You've identified some challenges, obstacles. You've done some troubleshooting. You may even be retooling, right? And you're looking to scale and then come to you and 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 demonstrate the experience someone has had. And then you do what? You Do you look at the business plan and evaluate it? Do you um, in, invest your intel there to, to mm-hmm. help improve it? Or Well, we like to say that we don't. I mean, we look for companies where we cannot just add value um, with money, mm-hmm. <laughs> with these investments, but we can add value with our network um, and with our own knowledge base within our general partnership and or we know the right people to connect you with. So we have a network of over 50 investors who've invested in our fund who have a huge range of experience, everything from CPAs to huge brand, uh, you know, marketing uh, people, women who've built and sold their own businesses. So management experience, acquisition experience, all of that. So we can plug our companies into them at different stages, depending on what they want. Some of our um, investors, we call them limited partners, um, they also have been board liaisons for some of our companies or even sat on the board, held a board position. We hold a board position with about a third of our companies. It really depends on um, who else we've come in with as investors um, and how much we feel like we can bring to the table as a board member. Mm -hmm. Um, So for instance, I sit on the board of the Superfan U, the sports fan engagement company, um, partly because of my experience at UTC with the PR marketing side. Yeah. So I actually worked with a lot of the people who are competitors in their marketplace trying to get to gain fans and fan loyalty and marketing out there, dollars out there. So I really understood that space. And I think we've brought a lot to them as far as networks there. They're uh, CFC is using their platform here locally. So we connected them in with, with uh, CFC and some of our other, um, our investors have connected with them with schools and alumni groups that they know. So you know, we just, uh, we're door openers. Um, yes. We also do help with strategy at some points. Yeah. Kind of depends. Yeah. So. And so, so you, so when you connect with a company and to evaluate whether that company is a good fit for the jump fund, obviously there's a, a monetary investment. You take an equity position, which I would assume varies depending on yes. the company. It's not the standard across it's the board. It's not like the sharks. We don't, I mean, we are actually invest, we're usually investing at a, 
you know, kind of a middling level for uh, angel investors. I mean, our average investment is about $100,000 um, in a company. We're a small fund. Um, so we're usually looking for opportunities where um, the valuation is right for us. So we actually can um, take a larger percentage of the company or that um, we're coming in with some other investors where we may have a smaller percentage, but we feel like that still can really add value to our own portfolio, that, that it, there's high potential with this company given other people who are in the round and where we think the company is going to go, that even just taking, you know, four or 5% is good for us. Okay. Um, so, so it really depends. So we're not like Shark Tank, like we'll take, you know, $100,000, take 20% of your yeah. company. Yeah. I mean, and that's don't do important that. because I think but. there, you know, people um, have the perception that if they were to, were to solicit outside investing or angel investing or venture capital, that they have to give up control, if you will, of their business idea or their vision. Um, and sometimes, especially for women, um, it can be a really personal thing. Business, you know, a lot of the best business ideas come out of our own personal experiences. Uh, Torch would be a great example. I know Tiffany yeah. is a parent. So, oh, Shelly. I'm so sorry, yeah. Shelly yeah. is a parent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that being said, it can become very personal. And so... For the woman out there who thinks she has something that might be attractive to you, we would say, you know, drop that fear and just, you know, be open. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, as far as taking over all your company, now what is going to happen in the first couple rounds yeah. of investment is you're going to give up some of your company. So you're going to basically, I would say, share control of yeah. the company because you want to build a board of directors that includes some of those investors on it. Now, as you move forward, if your company wants later stage investment, your piece of the pie is always going to shrink the more money you take in. Yes. So no matter what, you're going to get diluted. Like yeah. It just, that's well, the that's name reality. Of the so you yeah. have to decide, is it worth my dilution? Because I think this company is going to, you know, have a 10 to 20 X return for everybody. And therefore I'm going to get my several million yeah. dollars back out of it. Or, you know, do you not want to give up that control? And so that there is always that debate. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing that comes into play is at what point, are you willing to put a price tag on your company? Because you have to, if you're going for equity investors, people are going to have shares of your company. You have to decide what your company is worth. That's a great point. And you mentioned valuation. So is that, I mean, that that's a very technical process, actually. So how does a woman have a va her company valued? I mean, you can't just say it's worth X amount. There's actually a process for that, right? Yeah, and it, so it's that's kind of probably another whole show. Yeah, but, I know. Um, but so I actually teach valuation sometimes. But but it's um, so there's a couple things that play into that. One is our marketplace. So in the southeast, um, there's sort of average um, valuations out there that are that that are acceptable to investors. That investors will even have a conversation with you about. So if you're an early stage pre-revenue company. You don't have any money you're yes. talking about. You can't say, I'm making $100,000 now and I'm going to make, you know, a million in five years. Then you can talk about that, what the value is based on that. But if you don't have that, you're talking about um, your intangible assets. So um, how much is your management team worth? Yes. You know, how experienced are they? Who have you built around that? You know, who have you brought in around you who has the right expertise? That's key for us, key for the jump fund. Like management is above anything else. We're investing in the people, okay? But then do you have intellectual uh, property around, you know, do you have patents or anything? Because that's valuable. Yes. Um, 
Can you de-risk it with any other legal things? Can you de-risk it with? Have you incorporated, you know, have you kind of moved to the next stage of a business so that we don't have tax implications as investors with that? Well, immediate tell. We have it later on. Um, uh, let me think of some other. So, uh, you know, product market fit, um, competition, you know, how if you are the only thing out there in this market and you're going to be able to blow it out or do you have a lot of competition and you know, are you going to be, you're going to be in this race with your other competitors. So how fast and how much money do you need to do that? So yeah. all of those things play into how we sort of, um, uh, add sort of value points. So yeah. each of those factors would have kind of uh, a value point. And there's some different methods out there. You can go online. There's the Berkus method or, um, the, um, Bill Payne has a method out there that you're basically kind of giving points to each of those things. And then you're, then you're multiplying that behind, by a certain dollar amount. And then that dollar amount is actually um, you're using the the local factor of what that um, average valuation is. So in the southeast, it's about two to two and a half million, um, but that's an average. So usually we're seeing kind of one to three million, right? Right. In very early stage companies. So are you somewhere within that range? Um, and then you know how can you prove out to an investor that you're really worth? Let's say you come in with a two million or three million dollar valuation, right? right? So the um, Entrepreneur always thinks their company is valued much more highly than the investor. Um, and also the investor, you know, is is looking for a lower valuation because we get a greater percentage of the company. Yes. So there's all that. It's very complicated. And I don't want to bore you all with that. But I think in the end, you know, when you're it, it's I think to demystify what the jump fund does is we we don't give grants. Yeah. We don't give loans. You know, we're looking um, for that kind of piece of the pie that we think and that we think that pie will grow exponentially for all of us. Yes. And we're willing to literally jump in there with you to help it grow. But you have to do all – I mean, you're doing the you're work. You're doing the right? work. Um, yes. So we're really investing in people. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a yeah. piece of valuation. And there. so how does someone – walk me through um, the process because I, it's not as if someone could come knock on your door today and you would necessarily engage with them or it is oh, – happens the, all the time. <laughs> happens all the time. Well, I know you get well, solicited quite so a bit. So I think, you know, what we tried to do with the jump fund coming out, I mean, we, I'll back up a little bit. We built the jump fund because we looked around at this issue. So there were my three other partners who helped found um, the fund were Stephanie Crow, who you spoke with before, yes. and she was VP of a bank at the time, and Shelly Prevost, who at the time was one of the partners at Lamppost Group, which is a venture capital incubator. Um, she was the only woman in that group at the time. And she's gone off to launch her own company now, yes. Torch. And then Tiffany Robinson, who with this, with River City Company at the time, doing a lot of sort of pop-up businesses around town, lifestyle-ish more, um, but had her own company um, with her husband and um, had, you know, really saw the need. She's a, a younger than all the rest of us. So really saw the need in her generation for plugging into this. So we all saw the pain point and we thought, we could be mentors. We could gather a bunch of women around us to be mentors. We could help build a better network so that as women are coming in, they're plugging into a really strong network. Um, but we knew that some of those things were actually already out there. And so we had some um, folks approach us at the first gig tank where we were really seeing this issue very vividly. There were only guys on stage. Really cool event. But there was one woman panelist on one panel of discussion. You know, we went to 30, what, what was then... Um, South, uh, what was it called? The uh, what 3686 was before, so Launch Tennessee's, I can't remember what it was called, but um, 
Southland. It's called Southland. So it's our statewide um, kind of like our South by Southwest, but on a, a exactly. little bit smaller version. So investors, entrepreneurs getting together. No women on stage. I met five women in, in probably a crowd of 500 people, 500 to 700 people, five women that I actually went up to and shook their hand. I shook the hand of all of them because there are only women there. You know, so there was a, pro- a huge problem there. So yes. um, these some folks basically said, you need to get some money together. Like the only way to really change the game yes. is money. Yes. And that was a little bit scary thought to us because we didn't really know how to do it at the time. But um, <laughs> we have some great mentors here locally who really helped us figure out how to do that. There's a local fund here called the Chattanooga Renaissance Fund who has been who've been terrific advisors to us. And they'd already done it one round, you know, they'd already raised capital here locally and invested it in Chattanooga companies. Um, so they kind of had a mission focus. So that's where we, um, how we started. And we spent about a year really learning. So taking some time to learn how to do this well, have, um, had some great mentorship from Golden Seeds, which is a national um, angel investor network out of New York, which invests only in women-led companies. So went through all of their angel investor training and now have great relationships with them, send companies up there sometimes. So um, back to what you were asking me before. So um, so we built all that, but that's to say that when we came out of it, we really were focused on um, a fund that would make investments. So that's yes. our top priority is yes. the investments. But we do still hold to the fact that we feel it's really valuable. I mean, networks are everything. Relationships are everything in this business. So you've got to start, if you're going to cultivate investors, you've got to start meeting them and you've got to start just telling about your idea. So sometimes we will spend over a year with a company before, you know, all of a sudden something turns on and they get some traction where we're thinking, oh yes, now, now they look interesting. You know, they went back to the drawing board or they got, for one of our companies we had looked at for a year, they ended up getting a major grant from the um, Department of Energy you know, that helped them do all their research and development. So they came out and came back to investors. Yes. So they looked much better instead of just, you know, a technology coming out of a university. So um, so you can you can easily find us. I mean, we have a website. Sure. And there's a contact page. And that I see that and our intern sees that. So we'll give you some immediate feedback as to whether, you know, you're a fit or not, or if we have some time that we could spend with you to, you know, maybe figure out how to take it to that next level. And I do want to point out these, it's when you say time that you could spend with someone, that's basically volunteer. I mean, you and the the three other women who are on, on your mm-hmm. board. There are actually seven of us there now. There's seven? Yeah, so okay. Three, so four of us founded it. And then, so, but together, say there's a company that, you know, you're interested in talking to, you'll meet with them, mentor them, give them some advice. And, and obviously you're not sure whether you'll, invest in that company or not. Oh, well, no, that's a much later stage. Yeah. Okay. So we'll just spend a lot of time with you yeah. before we decide but, that. Yeah. But we can tell you pretty quickly, like if, so we get um, inquiries from around the country and there's some kind of markers, like we only invest in the Southeast. So we can easily tell people, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Good luck in other parts of the country. We get some guys sometimes, you know, or some uh, teams that maybe have one woman somewhere in their team, but aren't really a fit. We want a woman led company the woman is in a C-level position. She has significant equity in her company, so she owns a good share of her company. Um, because that, to all of those, just say that you are the one of the leaders in that company, whether yes. or not you founded it or not. Um, you know, it's better if she's the founder, but we don't. Not all of our 
companies have female founders. Um, so it's about that women's business leadership. So that, I mean, that's a key point. And we can smell that a mile away, you know, if you're trying to pull the wool over. Yeah, I would think you get yeah. quite a bit of yeah, that. Yeah, we get some of that. So, so that's easy for us to just kind of give you a quick response. But the ones who are local, um, I either try to turn on them onto the best local resources if I really don't feel like they're a scalable com- company because it's not really worth meeting with me. I mean, yeah. I, we're, at, we're at a kind of different level. If I think that you have an idea or I feel like I could be helpful to you, then I will, you know, just schedule like a coffee time. Um, some of my other um, partners do that as well. Of course, they're so I'm working full time on the jump fund, but they're working full time building their companies. Yes. Most of them are in startup ventures themselves. Yeah. So not a lot of time. And we would love to move to the place where we have like an open office hours or something. Yeah. But, you know, there's bandwidth issues for all of us. But yes, we do try on a local level to do that. Um mm-hmm. Because it is so important to mm-hmm. um, have those touch points and just kind of point you in the right direction. So whether we do that by phone or we do that in person, you know, we try to make that time when we can. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's to say that I hope after this radio show, I do not have like a flood of requests yeah. <laughs> because literally like, yeah, I can't manage all that. But um, I think, you know, the other thing is to know is there are great resources around town that are better for stops than us. Yes. So and what are some of those for lab, you know, yeah. company lab now, it's not, it's not the company lab I was talking about before yes. when I was at UTC, you know, it's a very diverse group. A lot of women actually help run the company lab. Um, there are several women led teams. I just met the other night who are in the accelerator program and the new gig tank program. So it's always exciting to see that once we kind of, you know, lay down this gauntlet that we wanted to see more women that started happening here mm-hmm. locally. So that was mm-hmm. exciting. This the third by the third year of the gig tank, we had four women led companies in that group of ten. So wow. you know that was and we invested in one of them out of that. Right. That was Feats, yeah, our three D printed shoe company. Yes, yeah. And so all of that began in 2013. Yes. Fast forward, we're now at 2016. Yep. And so what's next for the Jump Fund? What what's well, um, we are really wrapping up this first fund is is almost fully invested. Yes. Um, you know, you get to the point where you kind of spend all your monies. We have we have 15 companies in our portfolio at this point. Um, and they are a wide range of company, everything from 3D printed shoes to a diabetes management platform to hydropower now, <laughs> um, which is really exciting. But um, we... So we're really wrapping this first phone's wrapping up, and there is still just such incredible deal flow out there. I mean, there's there's we opened our doors and the floodgates were opened. Yes. So mm-hmm. I mean, two things that were said to us when we started the fund, and not maliciously, but just a, a common perception was that there weren't female-led companies out there that were of this growth potential to be seen because they hadn't been seen mm-hmm. by the other angels and venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. Well. I mean, a lot of that has to do with your networks and whether or not you're plugged into the right networks to even get in the door with some of these funds or these individual angel investors. So we thought, you know, we, we think we're, we're pretty sure they're out there after doing the 48-hour launch just in our own community and just looking around. We were seeing some pop up. We thought, oh, we think we'll have good deal flow. Yeah. In two years, we've seen over 200 companies, you know, and that's just in the Southeast. Those are the ones that fit our growth profile and are in the Southeast. So that does not include all the ones that I see who are lifestyle ventures or, you know, smaller ones that I turn away. Brightbridge is a great resource yes. locally I turn yes. companies on to. That does include all of those. Yes. So it's been a great pipeline. So given that, you know, we really know that the momentum is here now and we need to continue this work. So we are going to launch a second fund. 
Um, we're gearing up for that now. I mean, as you're sort of ramping down one fund, you want to start fundraising in for the next one. Um, and so we're looking at kind of, you know, uh, really officially launching that more uh, this early fall um, because we would like to have it up and running for investments in 2017. So that's what we're looking at right now. It's it's something common with um, funds that start out, have a have a great first run and, and you know, realize that there's so much more potential out there um, so much more to invest. And I think we know so much more now about mm-hmm. um, uh, really the opportunities that are out there. Uh, we're going to stay focused on investing in women for sure. And we're going to stay focused on investing in Southeast because we do see great deal flow there that we've been able to cultivate as well. Um, but we actually um, are opening it up to any investor who wants to come in. So our first round was only female investors. So we had all women investing in women-led companies. So. Yes. Anybody who's interested in investing in women at this point, we would yes, welcome. yes, yeah. and and that I think really um, balances, you know, the playing field, and and I think it's great that you started with women investing in women, um, and you and I both have, you know, in the circles that we we travel in, and I know Plum Alley in New York, and and Deborah and that group up there. I mean, it's all about you know women investing in women often because women are the first to believe, I think, in other women. And I don't say that as, you know, a slam against men, but I I do think there's the perception that most women, especially in the Southeast, are interested in a lifestyle business, something to, you know, provide extra income or, uh, you know, potentially uh, create jobs on a small scale but women, there's the perception that women aren't as aggressive. Um, we're not as, uh, we tend to be more emotional and less, uh, you know, I think um, cerebral in, in, our, in our work. And I think that's just not true. I think there are, there are more and more women out there who, frankly, we have to create scalable businesses in order to survive. Um, you know, as we age, um, I think our work productivity can go down. I know that as a middle-aged woman, you know, I have 20-year-olds who work in my office and run circles around me, and I don't have the energy I have <laughs> now at 46, but my mind's still good, and I'm super committed to my business, and um, quite honestly, my work ethic is, you know, uh, comparable to, to men uh, with my experience. Women also have children often who are dependents and uh, that can pull on us, but that's no different than, than the, uh, you know, I know a lot of single dads and a lot of dads who aren't single and they're just super committed, you know? So I think women more and more as we become um, breadwinners in the home, as there are more and more of us who are single moms, we're very, very serious about monetizing our time and scaling our businesses so that they don't just provide what we need now, but they generate um, income down the road for ourselves and, and our children, and, and they become sustainable. And so women is the first believers, or women to invest in women is exciting. Um, but now to open the door to anyone, uh, male or female, who would like to support women in business, that's a super exciting chapter for you. I think so. I mean, we've seen at Golden Seed, so it's a network of investors and um, they have now, they they started out with just a handful of men who were interested in the mission of investing in women. They have 70, actually, sorry, almost 80 million invested now in over 80 companies that are women-led. 
So they are, um, they're in- incredibly active in the market, but they have almost 20% men now who are investors. That's great. Which is fabulous. Well, and they yeah. are very active and very engaged with the companies. I think what's happening right now, so since we started the Jump Fund, some really um, interesting statistics have come out. So we we started on some assumptions. We thought that um, if women are not being seen by investors and they are out there and they can scale companies well, then you know there might be sort of an arbitrage opportunity out there if nobody else is investing in them, right? So we were going on that assumption. We also knew things, statistics like 80% of all consumer decision-making is done by women. So there's a market that's being untapped if you don't have women on your team. Exactly. So we we knew all those things. Now what's come out is that um, some, new, some new statistics have come out by um, some groups like First Round Capital and some other major investor groups that are seeing that women-led companies, or at least a company with one female founder on it, have a 63% higher return in early-stage investor portfolios. Now, that is from a couple things. One is that capital efficiency I said about women. So they're actually, you give them a million dollars and they're going to make that stretch a lot further, a lot longer. They're not going to go blow it all at first, which it's not necessarily a guy thing, but it is something very specific to women. They're going to they're gonna be much more resourceful with that money. We know how to stretch a dime. Yes. <laughs> um, and the other thing is management. So, you know, a lot of people come at start companies, particularly these technology companies that are really cool and it's, it's you know, coming out of the gate really strong, kind of guns blazing, and it's an exciting new company in the marketplace, and you can sell it, sell it, sell it. But when you start building that team to run the company and to grow the company, so when you're getting upwards of 10, 20, 30, 50 employees, you know, some of those founder, uh, whether they're tech people or they're salespeople, maybe they aren't the best managers. And if they don't know how to either bring in, you know, a CEO who really has those skills or, you know, it, it... they they aren't going to be able to like they they basically blow up at some point. Yeah. Um. So women actually kind of come in with that knowledge, uh, more of that knowledge base. So those kind of those things that you were saying earlier, sort of the things that people say about women. You know, we take less yes. risk, which actually is part of our capital efficiency thing, right? Yeah. We're not going to be yes. as risky. Um, or we're risk averse, and then um also just kind of the management side, like we can juggle a lot. Um, but we're also really at- emotionally attuned. Yeah. So when we build teams, you know, we, we're able to retain employees longer because we understand more about what the employees need and are building kind of a, you know, a culture within our company. So that, and those are, those are not things I'm just making up. Those are things that are out there um, in the research now. And those are the, the reasons that some venture capitalists are saying, you know, I want to find more women-led companies for my portfolio because if they're outperforming the male-led companies at this point, you know, on a on this kind of, you know, angel investing, get in and then get out within a three to seven year time period. Yes. Then, you know, I want to bolster my portfolio with more of those kinds yes. of companies. Yeah. And I and I I think women being emotionally aware and tuned in to the the employees around them is is really important. And uh, I, I do want to encourage women out there. I think for so long, we kind of um, maybe packaged ourselves to look like and act like men in the workplace. And really, we're quite different. We're not, it's not a better or worse than situation. We're just different. And so bringing who we are innately with our gifts and our abilities to the workplace and creating a culture around us 
that's one that breeds loyalty and high productivity, honesty, integrity, all of those things. I mean, it's just though that type of environment is is so ripe for success. And so I can see, you know, I see women all around us doing that now. And I think especially when you look at the millennials and these um, young people coming into the workforce now, it's so important to them to have a positive experience when they're at work. You know, I think particularly my generation and, and yours and those before us, we went to work to work to produce and then we left work to go live our lives. And it's really not that way anymore. I mean, work is very much an extension of who we are, self-expression in the workplace, um, being recognized for our value, men and women, you know, uh, value that experience at work. And so, um, you know, for men and women who are leaders in the workplace to be able to create a positive culture where people feel valued, they can apply their gifts and talents, they're paid fairly, and honestly, we're not working ourselves to death, right, at the altar of the company's success. Um, I think that's really important. Yeah, I think also just to point out that from the get-go, we were interested in diverse teams. So we are not, you know, we don't expect all of our companies to have all women leadership. That actually would be antithetical to what we believe in. Our value is gender diversity and and after that, all sorts of diversity because you are trying to build services and products that, you know, are are selling across the market. And so if you don't have uh, products that really appeal to women and men or, you know, different socioeconomic backgrounds, you're not addressing the full market. So yes. when you can build a more diverse team in general, it's you're going to have a more successful company um, as long as you're doing some kind of sales. I mean, if you're a strictly enterprise, you know, that might be a little different. But um, so we really believe that from the beginning, and that's been really important. Um, it's interesting that I think because we open our doors to gender diversity, our teams are very diverse across the board, age, race, except for the fact that they're all women, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not our team, sorry, the, the company leads, yeah. right? So yeah. we actually had um, 11 of our 13 companies here for our first portfolio summit. We took this great picture and, you know, they're younger and older, um, you know, they, we have one African-American leader, we have one Korean leader, we have one um, uh, of, of Indian descent. I mean, it's just, yes, it's exciting to see that, you know, the faces in our portfolio yeah. are very different than you're going to see in much other VC portfolios. Yes. But the other thing I'd point out is that, um, so one of our teams, I, I like to bring this up as an example, two co-founders started the company. Um, one was the tech side and one was kind of more in marketing, came in and as they were building the company after the first year, getting some revenue traction, you know, had some customers online, really understanding what the market was looking at like and how they needed to grow this company, they quickly realized they needed a different person to be the CEO. So again, outside of themselves. Yes. So 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 they, you know, when we first saw them, it was just the two of them building the company. So the guy did all the tech side and she did all the sales side. And so they brought in somebody who is a fabulous CEO for them who actually had worked as one of their mentors as they were building the company. And he has all the right package for the CEO. So he's very outward facing. He works really well with investors. Um, he has a lot of that sort of, you know, building companies to acquisition expertise. And they can do the work of building the company behind the scenes. So she's the COO. Her co-founder is the CTO. And they brought in a CEO. So you don't have to, you know, as you're building this company, you need to figure out where your strengths 
can best yes. lend to the company and then build the right team around you. And then they now have about 11 employees in that company, but um, they're all still still the founders and leads in that company. Yeah. And not necessarily a woman. It doesn't have to be a female. No, CEO. and it wasn't. No, yeah. he wasn't a female. No. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so um, she's Obviously. still involved in the, lead- <laughs> the leadership. Uh-huh. She's CEO. Yes, yes. Very much. And um, uh, obviously owns at least half the company. Yes. Not right? half, but because she's got a lot of investors. Well, now it's still, so, yes, yeah. Yes. But prior yes. to, to yes. her being vested, right? Yeah. So that's really exciting to, mm-hmm. I think, that example. And I think it's important. Um, and we we say this a lot with feminology um, and the work we do with women-owned companies and women-directed companies that, you know, feminism, for instance, is not about anti-man, right? It's not, it's pro-woman in that it's pro-equalist. And so it's about balancing the playing field and it's mm-hmm. about flooding the playing field with diversity. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that business you're in is predominantly historically yes. run by men yeah. and white men. Yes. Okay. So any diversity that you can bring to the table is, is positive, whether it's female or different ethnicities, you know, that's an exciting thing for this, this business economy. Mm-hmm. And we live in a diverse world. We have to, you know, the world today isn't what it was. Our country isn't what it was. And it's important that that is reflected in our business economy. And I think for our, our own success and for our children, you know, to see uh, that that's valuable and that, that you're making that uh, priority. Right. I was sitting with, um, on a, a panel, we were judging a pitch competition in Charleston recently and with two other men who are, are venture capitalists. And um, the mic was left on purposely so they could hear our discussion about the companies. But at one point he was asking me about the jump fund and he said, well, kind of laughingly, he said, so you're basically sexist. Is that what you're telling me? And I said, you know what? Yes, we are sexist, but we're going to continue to be sexist until the playing field changes. Yes. And, you know, the, the statistics are so low for women receiving funding, venture capital funding. Yes. In the Southeast, it's just 6% of all venture capital um, is going to women. Which is lower and than nas- the national average. No, it's and much it's, lower. And national yeah. average is only 15%, which yeah. is really low. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we can't, we, we can't disregard that. And no. so we're going to go full guns until we would love to have a point where the jump fund does not need to exist anymore. But until then, so I, I kind of owned cool. the sexism the other yeah. day. You Good know, for I'm you. Like, that's okay because we, we get that a lot. We get, you know, you're not open to all the opportunity. You're not, you know, you're limiting um, your options, your portfolio. And, and to some extent we are. Yeah. But we also feel like we're finding really excellent companies within sort of the parameters that we've set. And so we don't, we don't feel really hamstrung by that. A lot of um, funds actually are only investing within their region or only investing in their city. Yeah. So, I mean, that already limits you right there. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't feel like just being in women in the Southeast, we've had plenty of deal flow and plenty of really excellent companies. So exactly. we're excited about where yeah. our portfolio is headed. Good for you. Yeah. I applaud you for that. I've gotten the same criticism and, and I've gotten eye rolling and people, and, and people, you know, intentionally saying, you know, FEMA, FEMA what, you know, and what is that? And are you a, a, a women's movement? And right. it's like, no, this is just where I'm, I'm throwing a stake in the ground. It's not that I don't support men in business. It's not that we don't have a team who, who could um, brand market 
and and work with a male-owned or male-directed company. It's just that this is an area where we need balance. There's such a deficit. Mm -hmm. There's such a deficit. And I care most about this area of the population. And And frankly, I fit my own demographic. I know it better than any other. It's where I can be most effective. And uh, that's where I choose to spend my time and to apply my resources. And so um, I think that's an awesome, awesome position for you to take and, and good for you. It's exciting. And on that note, before we wrap, I think it's, it's so exciting for Chattanooga, really. I mean, you all have definitely made a huge impact on Chattanooga being on the map in terms of being known as an, you know, a hub for entrepreneurs. And, and for women, we and, were the second ranked um, city in the country for women entrepreneurs. Yes. And we like to think we had a little bit to do with that. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And so you and the six other women, because yes. there are seven total yes. now, who have stepped up, formed this company, invested the money, invested the time, resources, mentoring, thought leadership, and, and the things you do in the community, I know supporting Mad, Bad, and Dangerous mm-hmm. and just um, other things you and I have talked about. I've never known you to say, no, we can't do that, or we're tapped out. I mean, you've always given me time. And if there's something that is worth considering as far as a monetary contribution, you at least consider it. And so we as a city are super, super proud to have you here. Thank you. And um, I know you get national recognition. You mentioned you were just uh, part of a podcast, I think, that went. USA Today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, more power to you. I know. We we actually get, you know, coming out of the gate, we were the, at the time that we started, we were the only dedicated fund, definitely in the Southeast, but across the country that was all women investors investing in women. So there are a lot of networks, but there weren't funds. And now since we've started just in, in the past two and a half years, um, you know, there are tons of other networks and funds springing up. I talk to women all the time and they're asking me, you know, I go to these national conferences and they say, how did you do this? You know, how did, I mean, 98% of our investors are in Chattanooga, women in Chattanooga who invested in this two and a half million dollar fund. And in six months, we raised that money because they all saw the need. They all wanted to jump on this. They all wanted to make a difference. And so, you know, I really helped coach these other women who are coming out of the gate, trying to raise funds or trying to gather other women angel investors and kind of, you know, what are the the messages out there about yeah. that? Um, and the interest, because there are a lot of women who do want to, take this step and, and find, you know, find other women to invest in and grow both the investor side for women and yes. the entrepreneur side for women. Yes. And let's talk about that for a minute. And I know Tessa over here, she's giving me the thumbs up. We can keep going. I could go for another hour. There's so many, you're just full of so much good information. Uh, but let's, let's go for a moment to the investing side. Okay. So, um, feminology is a very small investor with, Plum Alley, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. um, basically, I call it a Kickstarter for women. It's a crowdfunding platform for women-owned businesses. And um, to participate in Plum Alley, and I just encourage you all out there, if you're interested in investing on a very small scale and making a difference in women-led and women-founded companies, Plum Alley is a great place to do that. But to be an investor with the Jump Fund, what does someone do and how much would they actually have to contribute? Well, it's a really interesting time to be talking about this because the crowdfunding legislation just came out. So um, so there's this thing called accredited investors. So any investor who's investing in a company, if you are looking for investors, you need to make sure that your investors are accredited. Okay. It, that, that, that has been the case all along yes. uh, up until this new crowdfunding legislation, which I'll talk about. But 
So an accredited investor is basically somebody by SEC rulings has a minimum of a million dollars of assets and or at least $200,000 a year or more. And there's a joint number as well if you have a spouse of income. So basically, they have enough money that they can withstand the risk of investing in your company or any other companies. Okay. Because early stage company investing is extremely risky. Yes. So, um, you know, many, not necessarily in our portfolio, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, when you're building a portfolio of companies, we're trying to de-risk by building, building a very diverse portfolio of companies, companies that are at different stages. Um, and we're hopeful that all of them will have some success, but knowing that usually about a third of your portfolio are the ones that make it really big, that are going to bring back most of the return for your investors in your portfolio, maybe even less than that. So you have to have some big gun winners out there to kind of carry the rest. So you don't, and if you're an individual investor and you've just invested in one or two companies, one of them goes belly up, then 50% of your assets have just gone down the drain. Yes. Right? Or more. So you have, so that the reason there has always been that sort of wealth marker is that you have to be able to like stomach the risk. So just like if you invested in stocks and all your stocks went downhill, like the tech bubble, right? Yes. You know, you still hopefully had your money in some other places so right. that, that didn't kill you. Yes. And so this is to protect so this the to investor. protect the investor. Yes. Right? It's also to, impre- to protect the company because you don't want to be sued by your investors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, which happens quite a bit. Um, so you re- that's a liability thing. So you have actually people sign off that they're accredited investors. So what just happened was, um, I think it's called Title Three that was just passed um, nationally, is that anybody, anybody, you do not have to say you're an accredited investor, can invest up to $2,000 in any company. The only caveat is you have to use a platform like Plum Alley. So it has to be a registered broker dealer of some kind. It can be an online platform or it can be an individual who's dealing in early stage investing. So that kind of vets... Um, a little bit of the relationship there for you, you know, kind of yeah. vets the companies and vets the investors a little bit. I mean, not not a whole lot, yeah. but um, but you can literally go online with any of these things, you know, troll for some companies you want to invest in and put $100 in a company or okay. $1,000 in a company. Anybody can do that. That was not possible just until last week. So that that legislation just passed. There's been tons of stuff in the media about that. So anybody now can be an investor. And so what so does that mean exciting. for, for Jump okay. Fund? Yeah. So that's exciting yeah. because angel investors were a little leery at that. Um, and the, and part of the reason, I think crowdfunding is really cool and great because it's opening up a whole marketplace. It's actually really good for women. Sure. So if women aren't getting in the door with a lot of investors, you know, maybe they need to go out and just raise it on the crowdfunding site and be done with it and move on. Yeah. The problem is that when you um, have a lot of people investing in your company at a very early stage, that means you have a lot of people in your business. Yeah. So if you're doing a crowdfunding site and you have a hundred people, so we're going to give you, you know, a thousand dollars each. Yeah. Well, great. You just raised a million dollars, but who are those people? Yeah. You know, do you really know who those people are yes. at any point in time? Could they sue you? Could they do something harmful to your business? Because yeah. they actually get to be in your business yes. and know and they're about entitled. your business. They're entitled yeah. to know yes. things. They're entitled to get financial statements from you. They're entitled to call you up and ask you about yes. things. I mean, there's no real barriers there. These broker dealers can help a little bit with that. Sometimes they form their own partnerships to invest in. So they'll come in as a single entity, which is much better for you as an entrepreneur. If you have one entity you report to, and then they report back out to all those investors. Yes. So they're a single entity coming in. So if you're if they've rallied a million dollars for you or five hundred thousand dollars for you, 
then they're coming in as like an LLC or some yes. kind of partnership. And you're accountable so only to them. much better yes. for you. Yeah. But the minute that your cap table gets really messy with a lot of different people invested, no other investor in the future is going to look at it. And I think that also angels are pretty leery of some of these crowd online crowdfunding mm-hmm. sites too. And I think even with an LLC in your company like that, mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. you know, those later stage investors may shy away. Just mm-hmm. so so you gotta you've gotta think about the long term effect of taking that kind of money early on. It's mm-hmm. it's super um seductive. Yes. Right. But as an <laughs> investor, yeah, it, I'm sure it yeah. is. Yeah, because it's like, oh money. Yeah. And it it's Anybody can do it. I mean, Kickstarter is better because they don't take any equity in your company and they just give you money. Yeah. You can give them t-shirts and they just give you money. (laughs) It's awesome. But for, let's say the woman in Chattanooga who's listening and actually would like to be part of the Jump Fund investment fund, Mm -hmm. right? They would obviously contact you Mm -hmm. to, to, um, to engage in a conversation about that. I can't talk too much that. about this, Sherry, because Cap- there's some SEC rulings about yep. this because I can't do public solicitations. But, okay. And yes, I know you're not doing me. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you do need to be accredited. I mean, that's, yeah, a, that's, a, yeah. that's one threshold. Right. Um, and so, and that's according to the specifications you gave earlier, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the net worth and the, mm-hmm. and the income. Right. Yep. Yep. So um, if you're out there, you know who you are. But the great thing is that, um, you know, you can support women in business in all kinds of ways. If you're a professional who has skills, whether you're working, you're retired, whatever you're doing, I know a lot of women who can come alongside other women and mentor them. I've had women in my life do that. I still have women in my life doing that now. Um, And particularly for me in the area of operations and, and just hiring and and releasing and, you know, kind of I'm going through a bit of a changing of the, the management at Feminology and we're, we're retooling what we're doing. And so I, I said this last week and I think the week before, I don't do that in a vacuum. You know, I ask for input and it's amazing what you get when you ask. And women are huge givers and we have tons of experience in this town. Mm-hmm. Um, so women out there, if you're able to give money, um, and that's something you want to do and get involved as a savvy investor and accredited investor, that's great. But if you want to just give of your time, I would encourage you to contact Brightbridge. We've actually mm-hmm. got Mary on the show next oh, week. Good, good. And we have Jacqueline here from Nashville with um, the Small Business Association. Good. You're going to be here talking about um, the wonderful things that, that mm-hmm. uh, free resources and, and workshops and things they do for women. And um, you can also email me, sherry at feminology.co, if you want to give of your time and talent and resources, because I, I intersect with women all the time Absolutely. who have business ideas and they may not, you know, they may not have a marketing budget. They, they're, they're just really out of the gate and they need support. So, and I would encourage anybody, you need to go talk to a lot of people about your business. Yeah. It helps you um, develop your idea further. Don't be scared of sharing it. Okay. There's nobody out there who's going to st- steal your idea. People say that all the time, <laughs> but nobody else wants to go do the work to implement your business. Isn't so that the really truth? don't worry about that. You should go talk to a lot of people, go talk to the resources you know, go walk in the door at the company lab, go walk in the door at the BDC or Brightbridge or these other great places that you can walk in the door and meet with people who will sit down for half an hour, an hour with you and just walk through your business idea. Yes. And they'll send you back out the door with the next steps you need to take. Yep. Um, So we have so many great resources here now. I mean, you can just go to programming at the Edney on practically anything now, any industry, any, you can hear 
other investors around town talking about what they're doing. Ted Allen was just talking at um, Talk Shop Tuesday oh, wow. over at the Edney. I mean, find out what the Lamp Post Group is doing. Plug into all of that because that's the network that you're going to build for your company going forward. And yeah. it's very important. I know we did that a little bit at Phenomenology with some yeah. women's groups. Yeah. And, um, so I just encourage you to do that. It's all about the networks. It's all about relationship building. Don't be shy. We you know, you say this every week. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. about asking, connecting, showing up. Um, CWLI, I like yeah, to plug absolutely. them. It's $100 mm-hmm. to join. Mm-hmm. And I think the student membership is even less than that. I think there's a student membership. Mm-hmm. So we're running out of time. I'm getting the signal. Oh, it's $10. $10. Tessa, so you're a student member? 10 bucks. Okay, everybody has And it. it's amazing. It's over 400 women in this city yeah. who are all connected in some kind of business or nonprofit. Or, I mean, they yes. can plug you in. And go to that website, mm-hmm. CWLI. What is Dot it, Tessa? Org, Dot org. Thank mm-hmm. you. So young women out there, women of any age, plug in, network. And Christina, again, is managing partner and co-founder of the Jump Fund, which is an angel investment fund for women-owned or led businesses, correct? Yes. yes. I got it? Okay. Thank you again. We're broadcasting from the Regis Executive Suites in downtown Chattanooga, 10th floor of the Talon Building. This is the Women in Business Show Please join us again next week at 12 noon on Wednesday.